the air with the Rural Radio Network's midday program as we roll on into the Tuesday program here. And roll on through. Uh, I don't know if your forecast in your particular area shows this, but we're just up and down. We're like a roller coaster this next couple of days until we splash down uh, at the uh, end of this thing. It's like being at worlds of fun, at oceans of fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> First, it's hot, then it's cold, then it's hot, then it's dry, then and it's, it's wet. And it's wet. And that's yeah. fall in Nebraska. Know. It's cold September. It's <laughs> September in Nebraska, that's for sure. Here we go with another edition, and we move it right straight on over to the Ag Department, where we've got some Chinese beef buyers interested. Huh? That's right. They uh, came over from China this week. Uh, we'll be here for a couple of days uh, all throughout Nebraska. They toured a feed yard south of Gothenburg yesterday, are in Omaha today, uh, doing some processing facilities. As you know, China very interested in U.S. beef, and it's good to have them in Nebraska looking at uh, specifically Nebraska beef this week. Also, there's a group of Democrat Senate. They want the waters of the U.S. rule untouched, and we'll talk about that in our Ag News at 12.13. At 12.19, Dewey Nelson with Jason Ladman, director at Water Street Solutions, discussing becoming a more efficient farming operation. Uh, newsmaker segment, Senator Kurt Friesen of Henderson. I'll talk to him. He re-announced his, or not re-announced, he announced his re-election bid this week. So he's going to run again. He wants to work more on property taxes. That'll be at 1245. And then we'll have more from that Chinese beef buying team. Mark Ford is director of the Ag Trade Office for the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. He helped bring those folks to Nebraska this week. He'll be our guest at 117. Do they leave with, like, Husker, Husker jerseys and caps? And no, they heard that. Uh, never, never mind. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd load them up. I would think, you know. I'll you leave the snide comments to yeah. Jason right. on the Huskers. Jason Jorgensen here. What do you think? Speaking of the Huskers, <laughs> I'm still trying to sift through the ashes of Saturday's game. Well, they're looking to become a phoenix, though. They are. And we'll see if they can turn it around. It starts this Saturday against Rutgers. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk some Division II college volleyball. Of course, uh, Wayne State and UNK are off the fast starts this season. Wayne State is back in action tonight. And coming up this weekend, they will kick off a big project, Shadron State. Uh, they have a big expansion of their uh, football field and oh. track and all of that. And it kind of kickstarts at least uh, ceremonially. This Saturday, we'll give you a little down on that. As soon as the season is done mm-hmm. and they start in on that project trying to get it done for next year. Also coming up in sports, we'll talk Major League Baseball and home runs. If it seems that there's been more home runs hit this year in baseball, you would be right. Record setting. Really? Mm-hmm. We have a lively ball out there, do we? I don't know. Or just some big guys that can hit it a long way. I suppose. So all of that's coming up in sports. I should mention that Chinese team left with small Nebraska shot glasses. <laughs> Which we all needed after Saturday's game. <laughs> yes, we did. More than a shot. Good point. <laughs> yeah. okay. Bob Brogan with business. Maybe actually tankards, but <laughs> um, at least uh, shot glasses that look like tankards. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, banks, insurers, and other financial companies were leading U.S. stocks higher in trading today. Also, but health insurers fell as a Republican effort to repeal President Barack Obama's health care bill appeared to gain momentum. Uh, straight, uh, the second straight monthly drop for U.S. housing starts, and one of my favorite places to shop, Toys R Us, files for bankruptcy protection. <laughs> All the big boy toys, that's yes. right. Coming up for you today on Midday. 
let's find out what's going on here with this roller coaster ride we call our ag weather with Paul Perkins brought to you by Coolman Repair. We're on the upside today. Going to go back down just a little tomorrow and then back up for Thursday and Friday. It's crazy. Yeah. It's then, topsy-turvy. It is Italian Western crazy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> cool and wet for the weekend. Definitely much cooler and definitely on the wetter side as we head towards the weekend. Today we do have those sunny, breezy, and warm conditions. It's all thanks to some low pressure continuing to strengthen on the high plains. The stronger winds, warm and dry air across southwest Nebraska, the Panhandle, also west and central Kansas and northeast Colorado have prompted a red flag warning to be issued for high fire danger in those areas. And Probably not a good idea to mess with any kind of flame in any areas for today. Low pressure with that system will track across the northern plains tonight. That will swing a cold front southeast through our region. The better chances of seeing any thunderstorms, though, will be to the north closer to that area of low pressure. Otherwise, we are going to be on the dry side of that area of low pressure and that front. High pressure behind the front tomorrow. We'll keep it sunny and dry. And temperatures will be back more towards seasonal levels for this time of year. Then we'll see more low pressure organized towards the west for Thursday and Friday. That will return more unseasonably warm air our way and more breezy conditions for Thursday and Friday. Friday night into the weekend, that's when we'll start to see the effects of this area of low pressure. That low over the Rockies will send multiple waves of energy to the east over the weekend. And thunderstorm chances will start to increase dramatically by Friday night and remain likely Saturday through Sunday night. So we're looking at repeated likely chances of thunderstorms with this system. Rain totals between now and next Tuesday morning could total upwards of near 5 inches in parts of central Nebraska. And we do have a map of that. That's on our KRVN Facebook page. For the long-term forecast, it appears we are headed towards that wet and cooler period. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are expected to be cooler than normal Sunday through the 2nd of October. And for a reference point, late September daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low to mid-70s with overnight lows mostly in the mid to upper 40s. Nebraska and Kansas also forecast to receive above-normal rainfall Sunday through October 2nd. Those chances the highest for Sunday and early next week with that system. The weather factors the market traders are considering include favorable weather for the Midwest, beneficial rain for the Southern Plains, and additional rain for the Northern Plains. Cool air will gradually spread eastward and encompass the Northern Plains and all the western U.S. by the end of the week. That precipitation, initially it was limited to the northwest. That will become more focused late in the week across the nation's midsection. The rain will disrupt early harvest efforts in the western Midwest in the next few days. Otherwise, conditions remain favorable for the maturing of corn and soybeans with no damaging cold weather expected in the next seven days for at least uh, the next seven days across the Midwest. The northern plains, though, could see some frost or a light freeze early next week, but little crop damage is expected. The rain will delay harvest, but the driest soils will take it after being affected by the drought this year. Beneficial rain on the way for the southern plains. That will benefit their emerging wheat. Mostly light rain is expected in the southeast U.S. the next seven days. That will allow crops to improve after being hit by the remnants of Hurricane Irma. Recovery from Irma will be aided in the Delta by some warm and dry conditions. In Australia, little rain is expected in the next five days as dry weather continues to increase the stress on the developing wheat in the northeast part of Australia. So ag warm and dry for a while. Yeah, here. it is. Ag weather brought to you by uh, Coleman Repair. In fact, the, ag, the, uh, the Market Watch people today were saying that uh, as far as the nationwide uh, harvest is concerned, they're looking, it's looking almost couldn't be any better. Yeah, for right now, but it, I wouldn't doubt if we start seeing some delays, especially with this cooler and wetter forecast on yeah. the way. Yeah, here.
We'll see what happens. Nah. It's all in Mother Nature's hands. <laughs> and when you need weather anytime, you can go to krvn.com. Time for a market update on the World Radio Network. As we're lower on the day, we've come off these lows in corn, excuse me, in wheat and soybeans. December corn near the lows, 348, down three and a half. March, 360 and a half, also down three and a half. May corn, 368 and three quarters, down three and three quarters. Next December, 390 and three quarters, down three and three quarters. November soybeans, 963 and a half, down four and a quarter. January, 974, March, 983, both down four. Next November, trading, 984, down one and a half. December Chicago wheat four forty and a quarter down three and a quarter. March four sixty one down two and three quarters. December Kansas City four thirty nine. March four fifty six and a half both down three and a quarter. December Minneapolis wheat six seventeen and a half down four and three quarters. March is down four and a half at six thirty one and a half. We are narrowly mixed in these live cattle contracts with October at one oh seven sixty two up five. December one twelve ninety two down two. February 116.72, up 22. April 119.35, unchanged. June 112.07, down 10. Feeder cattle futures, slight increase with September 151.17, up 37. October 152.27, up 32. November 152.62, that's up 42. January 149.17, up 20. October lean hogs now at 60, 42, up 42. December's up $1.67 at 59.77. The Dow Industrial Average up another 48 points to 22,379. NASDAQ's up 6 at 6,461. And the S&P 500 is up 2 at 2,505. We're here with local farmers about to announce a breakthrough they believe is the next big thing in their industry. Uh, thanks for coming. So what's moving under that sheet? Sam, do the honors. He's our channel seedsman. Yeah, he's with us every step with the Channel Field Checkup Series. Every recommendation helps us select and place channel products. Products placed to perform for better yield potential. Now that's seedsmanship at work. We want everyone who hasn't worked with a channel seedsman to know what they're missing. Right. Impressive. Find your channel seedsman at channel.com. Farmers and their channel seedsmen agree. When it comes to early season seedling protection, Acceleron Seed Applied Solutions have my fields covered with new advancements like NEMA Strike technology to help protect my corn and soybeans from the invisible threat of nematodes. That's big news for my field. That's seedsmanship at work. Talk to your seedsman about Acceleron Seed Applied Solutions. Individual results may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Products featuring NEMA Strike technology may not be approved in all states. Here's an update of Ag News. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Roll Radio Network. Chinese beef buyers got a chance to see and taste Nebraska beef production firsthand yesterday at Gothenburg. The buyers toured the high-gain feedlot south of Gothenburg before turning uh, to the operation's main office in town to sample some brisket and steaks off the grill. Mark Ford is director of the Ag Trade Office for the Embassy of the United States in Beijing. We asked him about the continued talk of it taking a while for the Chinese market to ramp up. What we seen is that since June when the market opened, we have a real high price, but a lot of the cuts that are coming to China are very high-end cuts. And what we've been informing the Chinese buyers 
is that you're paying a lot for a high-end cut, but you're always going to pay a lot for a high-end cut. But don't worry about it. When the production starts to increase, you're going to start to see the price dip. And since June, we've already seen the price dip in China. And this is good news for them because that means they're going to purchase more. And once the U.S. production is fully up to speed, then I believe we're going to have a steady price where you're going to have more people come in. And Ford says he worked with Stan Garbutz from the Nebraska Department of Agriculture as soon as the China market opened to bring a team to Nebraska. He called it an easy sell to get him here. And today the team is touring processing facilities in Omaha. Latest government update shows winter weed seeding in Kansas making some pretty good progress. More on that from Susan Littlefield. The National Ag Statistics Service reported yesterday that about 7% of the 2018 winter crop has been planted. Now that's near the 8% that would have averaged for this time of year. Kansas farmers are also harvesting their fall crops. About 19% of the corn in the state has now been cut, along with 1% of soybeans, 2% of sorghum. Cotton harvest is just 2% complete. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, bonds for the recently announced Tyson Chicken Processing Facility in Kansas have been put on hold. Shaley Peters has the details. As opposition builds against a proposed Tyson Foods chicken processing plant near Tonganoxie, Kansas, the Leavenworth County Board of Commissioners voted Monday to rescind a resolution that would have been the first step in issuing about $500 million in bonds to support the project. The three-member board originally passed the resolution when non-disclosure agreements were in place prior to the board's knowledge that Tyson was the company hoping to build on a 248 acre plot south of Tonganoxie. Also included in the resolution was a 10-year, 80% property tax abatement for Tyson. Though county residents were told Tyson would break ground on a chicken processing plant in northeast Kansas within 90 days, so far the county's board of commissioners say they've not received a rezoning application for the company. Tyson Public Relations Manager Worth Sparkman offered this statement earlier today. We're disappointed by the commission's reversal on revenue bonds. The commission's prior approval was part of state and local efforts to persuade Tyson Foods to locate in Leavenworth County. It was one of the factors we considered when determining where to locate our new poultry complex. We're evaluating our options in light of yesterday's vote. For more on the story, you can visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. And a group of 20 Democratic U.S. Senators uh, and an independent senator opposing to uh, rescinding the uh, 2015 Waters of the U.S. or WOTUS rule, which is still tied up in court according to a letter sent to the heads of the EPA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. In a September 13th letter to EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt and Deputy uh, Secretary of the Army uh, Douglas Lamont, the senators asked the agencies to leave the 2015 rule in place. We have lots more ag news, including audio, video, podcasts. You can find it all at ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. On our program today, we talk with Jason Ladman, Director with Water Street Solutions, and we'll talk about becoming a more efficient operation. Jason, why is this important for farm leaders to think about? Well, you know, efficiency discussions seem to be more prevalent these days with farm margins tightening, and as the farm leader, you should be working towards goals or levels of success that you've placed on your operation. And some of these goals could revolve around the farm's growth, or transitioning the operation to the next generation, or maybe just certain financial goals. And as the farm's leader, you probably found that as the environment changed, you began to realize your thinking needed to change as well. And you had to start thinking bigger. 
maybe even more global, as he began to watch the economics of agriculture change. And it meant a broader focus. So taking into consideration what's going on beyond your county, beyond your state, and then thinking about how those macro factors might impact your operation. It also meant considering things like employees and family dynamics and the business relationships that make the farm run. And at the end of the day, what you're left with are variables that you as a farm leader have to manage and monitor in order to be successful, which is no easy task. Well, that's a great goal, Jason. What steps can we take? Well, in the current economic environment we're in, growth in terms of acres or expansion might not necessarily be the most desirable goal at the moment, but it could be an opportunity depending on your financial situation. But whether expansion is in the cards or not, many farm CEOs are taking a much closer look at the books to determine where their time would be best spent. You see, they're honing in on different aspects of their operation, many times aspects beyond the direct cost of production. They're asking how they could become more efficient, and maybe it's only by a small amount, but sometimes the smallest changes can have the biggest impact. So start by asking yourself, what areas of my farm could benefit the most from becoming more efficient? Maybe becoming more efficient with direct inputs like seed, chemical, and fertilizer comes to mind first. And quite frankly, those are good areas to start with because they're typically the easiest to evaluate. But you can review this with someone from outside of your operation as well who is familiar with ag and your overall operation. Because oftentimes a third party can often look into your farm situation and provide some new perspectives on areas much deeper than just crop inputs. We're talking with Jason Ladman of Water Street Solutions. What else can we do to become more efficient on our farm? Well, there are several other areas of your business that might not necessarily come to mind right away, but they could also bring benefits and efficiency. So start thinking about aspects such as the processes and procedures that are used to get things done on your farm. You know, time is money, as they say. And this could relate to the way you're approaching handling the farm's books, as an example. Uh, Is the person that's doing the books, are they the best and most natural suited for that role? It could also be around how you're handling landlord situations. Also, your farm's insurance is worth a look at, too, because having a farm insurance audit done to find out whether you're covered correctly and if your coverage still meets the farm's objectives is very important. And as you prepare for harvest, let me provide a few questions to ponder. How can you become more efficiency-minded as a farm leader? What two or three areas in your operation can you identify right now that you believe can benefit from an efficiency evaluation? And what actions are you going to take with the information that you find out? And who will enlist? Who will you enlist to help make those changes? And if you'd like to learn more and understand how to begin evaluating your operation based on efficiency metrics, give us a call here at Water Street. We'd be happy to hear more about where your farm is headed. And you can do that by going to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've discussed becoming a more efficient operation with Jason Ladman, Water Street Solutions. It's the midday program on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Eric. Well, the Huskers continue to try to figure out what went wrong last weekend. Running back McHale Wilbon says there's certainly plenty to fix. Like kind of how inconsistent we were uh, in the game this week. Um, I feel like fall camp and even spring camp, uh, we was brand pretty sharp, pretty consistent. But like uh, this game against NIU, we look... Offensively, I can only speak offensively. Uh, we look kind of uh, just out of out of sync, uh, not in rhythm. So 
that's not like us. The Huskers will start conference action on Saturday at home against Rutgers with kickoff set for 2.30 Central Time. The ceremonial groundbreaking for the football stadium portion of Shadron State College's proposed sports complex will take place this Saturday. That will happen immediately following the homecoming football game versus Adam State that will take place in front of the grandstands on Elliott Field at Don Beebe Stadium. Well, Denver Broncos head coach Vance Joseph says rookie tackle Garrett Bowles' left leg injury isn't as serious as first feared. Garrett Bowles, um, it's, a, it's a lower leg bruise, so we're very lucky that it wasn't serious. It's a lower leg bruise, and he's week to week. Initially, it was that Broles might have blown his ACL. Broncos' first-round draft pick was injured in Denver's win over Dallas. This weekend, Denver travels to Buffalo. The 18th-ranked Wayne State volleyball team hosts Augustana on blackout night tonight. Wildcats were swept 3 nothing at Southwest Minnesota State last time out. Now, UNK, who has won eight in a row, they have climbed up to number five in the latest rankings. They're back in action this weekend when they start MIAA action. Major League Baseball is on track to break its season record for home runs with nearly two weeks left in the year. There were 5,677 home runs hit through Monday, 16 shy of the record set in 2000. With 15 games on the schedule, this should be the day that Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Cody Bellinger, and some of the other big hitters in baseball put this year over the top. And there won't be anyone for players to argue calls with at this tennis tournament. They're getting rid of the line judges entirely. The men's tour announced this week that the next-gen APT Finals, a season-ending event for the top 21 and under players, will feature electronic line calling for all shots. It's the first time this has been tried in an ATP tournament. The next-gen APT Finals is set for November in Italy. The only official at each match will be the chair umpire. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska's Secretary of State says he'll continue to withhold voting data from President Donald Trump's election commission until he gets more information about how the data will be used and kept secure. Secretary of State John Gale raised several concerns in a letter to the commission this week. Gale is asking for assurances that voter data will not be accessible under federal public records laws once Trump's term ends. He's also asking what specific legal authority the commission has to dispose of the records once its works end. Additionally, Gale says he wants to know the status of several pending lawsuits to block the commission's request to states. Gale says he's being cautious because of the recent breach at Equifax that exposed the personal information of 143 million American consumers. The state hand corn husking contest was held Saturday near Gothenburg. Shannon Peterson is the chair of the Gothenburg Ag Committee and helped coordinate the event. It was a great day. We couldn't have asked for better weather. The only thing that would have been better was a Husker win, but, you know, <laughs> can't ask for everything. I think we ended up with 51 contestants picking. Uh, like I said, tons of vendors, food vendors and craft vendors, and lots and lots of people coming in and out and enjoying the entertainment. Saturday's winner in the Young Women's Division was Carissa Eckel of Gibbon. She talks about what she enjoys about the competition. It's fun. I like the competition kind of. You never know how the corn's going to be or what, what the weather's going to be like. So just the guessing game. The winners in each division are qualified to move on and represent Nebraska in Marshall, Missouri for the national competition in October. An eastern Nebraska county is seeking more juveniles driving without a proper driver's license or permit. 
Colfax County Attorney Denise Crachel says that there have been 10 to 15 such cases so far this year. One involved a 14-year-old who crashed into a tree in Schuyler with three other minors in the vehicle. Nebraska has three types of permits that allow a 14-year-old to drive while accompanied by a licensed driver who's at least 21 years old. A fourth permit allows a juvenile to drive from home to school. Rachel says the biggest issue is parents allowing their children to drive without a license or a permit. She says first-time offending minors can be ticketed and considered for a youth diversion program. Parents also could be charged. Replay the game, interview, or feature you missed by catching a podcast from the front page of KRVN.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Back with you here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. We're going to take some time, visit with Senator Kurt Friesen from the Henderson area, announcing on Monday of this week his re-election bid to be a state senator again for the state of Nebraska. And, Senator, let's talk about your decision to do that and what you're looking forward to here this next upcoming session. Well, obviously, the the past three years, we have not got meaningful property tax reform done, so um, I am persistent, if nothing else, and so I'm kind of looking forward to getting that accomplished this year, but um, looking forward to the next another term. I think we have a lot of issues to work on, and um, I think it's important uh, that we address our tax policy in the state and, and numerous other issues, so kind of looking forward to a second term. Well, you've certainly grabbed the attention of Nebraskans on property taxes uh, this last session, and we visited with you before on maybe some things that need to be done, but let's revisit that. What are some things that maybe we can accomplish in the 2018 session? Well, I think, um, you know, being an election year should um, maybe help our our issue a little bit, and I still think it boils down to K-12 education and how we fund it. Um, when you look at the increase that we've seen and whether now it's ag land or you're seeing it in, in the urban residential homes, um, the increases are are getting severe and people are under pressure and there is a lot of pressure, I think, on us to come up with some other way of funding K-12 education. Do you feel all of agriculture has come together and been together on this issue like they need to be? Well, I, you know, I, I think the path we choose is going to be the problem. Um, we're all in agreement that property taxes are too high. There's a few groups who would maybe like us to just address the ag issue portion of it, which politically I just don't see how we could get that done. And then there's some, you know, disagreement on how we approach it. Please tell me again. I know we've asked you before, but what about having this on the ballot? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think if there was a, you know, a viable petition going around to put it on the ballot, it puts a lot of pressure on the legislature. Uh, if there's one thing the legislature doesn't like is that being told what to do. And so I think if there was a legitimate petition process going out there, I think it would help. And I guess if that's the process we have to take, I would be fully supportive of that because at times I, I do feel the legislature can't get it done. Well, we appreciate your work on this property tax issue because it's not an easy one. But we want to mention another one, too. Uh, broadband out to rural areas, that continues to be something that needs to be worked on in Nebraska. So tell us about the, the work you'd like to see done. 
Well, I think we've um, some of the you know early survey results showed that ninety some percent of of residents of the state had access to broadband, and and when you looked into it a little bit, the definition of high speed broadband is kind of lacking. So, I think when we really look at the issue of high speed broadband internet access, it is lacking in the rural areas, and I guess I feel that it's probably just as important as good roads. Um, these days, uh, businesses, whether you're on a you know, a national sales model where you have a website and, and want to expand your business, you're going to have to have access to broadband, high-speed broadband. And so I think farmers, as we get more involved in the technical um, products that are coming out there, the, the electronics, the, those types of things, we need access to high-speed broadband also, and I think it's lacking in the rural areas. Well, I think a lot of people would echo those comments. And for those that maybe aren't up to speed, uh, so to speak, on what is taking place on broadband needs out in uh, the rural parts of Nebraska, what's the first place to start? Well, the Nebraska Universal Service Fund is um, probably the starting spot, which is the Public Service Commission watches that. And and looking at how we might incentivize private industry to serve those real rural areas where they just economically cannot be expected to go and, and still maintain a profit or at least a break-even. And so I think it will be a... a a partnership of some sort to where we incentivize the industry to speed up the process of putting rural broadband access out there. But I, I think it's doable, and I think the Public Service Commission is on board, and the governor's office is on board. So I, I think it's just a matter of finding out how we uh, go about that process and what kind of incentives it will take. Well, besides those two issues, and those are pretty big undertakings by themselves, but anything else, uh, you know, you being on the Revenue Committee, anything else from that committee that you'll be working on? Well, I think uh, from the Revenue Committee standpoint, I mean, obviously our revenues have been coming in a little bit short again, so I think there'll be a lot of pressure on the Revenue Committee to look at um, our revenue stream in the state. And I guess when I when I look at the property tax issue, um, in order to accomplish something in that aspect, we may have to look at overall tax policy of the state. And that includes, you know, economic development, uh, the Nebraska Advantage Act, and all those programs that are out there, out there are all tied together in how we deal with our revenue stream in the state. So I think we need to look at our overall tax burden in the state, and we have to make sure that we... Uh, make it fair and as balanced as we can, and yet uh, maintain enough growth that we can provide the services we need. Um, When you look at um, rural Nebraska, obviously we need some economic development to happen in the rural parts of the state, and whether we need to look at the Nebraska Advantage Act or make new programs that probably help with uh, economic development in in the rural parts of the state. That is Senator Kurt Friesen from Henderson announcing his re-election bid this week. Visiting with us here on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Next, Joe Teal joins us from Great Plains Commodities. Tell us about the livestock futures trade. Well, it was a positive day uh, all the way around. Uh, cattle, feeders, and hogs all uh, higher. Uh, very few exceptions, and there'd be uh, some of the deferred options uh, 
that uh, didn't quite make it, but uh, uh, a positive day. Cattle uh, uh, started out uh, oh, mixed to a little lower, then uh, bounced right back and uh, traded uh, basically back and forth, just uh, back and forth. And then a uh, nice little late rush uh, at the end to uh, make sure we uh, closed moderately higher. So cutouts were higher at noon. Uh, that helped. They haven't heard anything as far as any cash trade that was uh, of any significance. But uh, expectations are running high that uh, we have a Catalan feed report on Friday. And expectations are running high that uh, it will be a positive uh, report. So that helped bolster things. The feeders uh, uh, still the uh, mo- the biggest gainers uh, out of the whole cattle complex is uh, corn, uh, beans, wheat, all under a little bit of pressure. Didn't hurt matters. Plus, uh, auctions have been going pretty well. Over in the hogs, uh, uh, nice uh, up day uh, with December, the winner there, triple-digit gains. We had some uh, gains out of uh, everything through uh, the uh, June contract next summer uh, as we uh, close in on the index which is still falling. Cash looked uh, steady a little bit weaker but uh, we're narrowing that gap. Thanks Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Dewey Nelson reporting. Yesterday near Gothenburg, a team of Chinese beef buyers were in the area touring a local feed yard and also had a chance to sample some good Nebraska beef. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network. Our guest is Mark Ford, Director of the Agricultural Trade Office for the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. He brought the beef buyers with him yesterday to Gothenburg where they toured a high-gain feedlot south of town and stopped by the office for some good Nebraska beef. We asked him about the mission. You know, we're very excited about this. We finally have beef in after 14 years. So 14 years ago, we had beef. Right now, we have our first USDA beef buying mission from China. So what I brought with me today is I brought 10 buyers from China to go through Nebraska to look at your beautiful state and hopefully to purchase some good beef. Tell us about the group you selected and why you chose them. You know, it's funny because Stan G was with me, and you know Stan very well. Uh, He was in my office, and as soon as the market opened, Stan and I were talking, and I said, we'd like to do a beef mission now that the market's open. And Stan said, I got the best state for you. And I said, if you get the state, I'll get the buyers. And so the buyers I selected are buyers that have been coming to us when they heard the market may open. We had about three or four guys and ladies obviously come to us, and they said, we want to buy beef when it opens. So it was an easy, natural selection. So these people have already been purchasing beef around the world, but they wanted to purchase it from us. So it was very easy to recruit them for this buying mission. And tell us about the interest in Nebraska beef over there. Sounds like it's pretty widespread. You know, everybody knows about Nebraska beef. Anywhere you go around the world, everybody knows about Nebraska beef, but especially in China because they heard about it. They're well-traveled now, so a lot of them would go to Hong Kong, Japan, Taiwan, and they heard about beef. And, and, you know, throughout the years, people started knowing, let's go to Nebraska, let's find out the beef. Then, obviously, you have Omaha, which is very popular, and you hear about that a lot. Uh, So it was a very easy sell to go to come here to Nebraska and to find out the beef. What they want is beef. If it comes from Nebraska or Texas or any other states, fine with me. But right now, we're more than happy to be here in Nebraska. And we still hear talk about it's going to take a while to get uh, get the market fully open. But what's your comment on that? Yeah, we're seeing that right now. What we've seen is that since June when the market opened, we have a real high price. But a lot of the cuts that are coming to China are very high-end cuts. And what we've been informing the Chinese buyers 
is that you're paying a lot for a high-end cut, but you're always going to pay a lot for a high-end cut. But don't worry about it. When the production starts to increase, you're going to start to see the price dip. And since June, we've already seen the price dip in China. And this is good news for them because that means they're going to purchase more. And once the U.S. production is fully up to speed, then I believe we're going to have a, a steady price where you're going to have more people come in. Uh, right now in China, you have a lot of the high-end players, people who can afford to buy it or buying it. Uh, and they will continue to buy it. But throughout the next year or so, we're going to start to see more people come. And that's when you're going to start to see an increase in U.S. exports to China. Let's talk about uh, what they got to see today, an actual uh, working feedlot in central Nebraska. What were some of the comments? It was interesting. They, uh, some of the comments was, number one, it was the first time for them to see a feedlot. Uh, for some of them, it was the first time to see a live cow. You know, I mean, because most of the time they're importing cuts. And so for them to see the process, how we do it in the U.S., was incredible. There were also a lot of questions about the feed. What kind of feed are they using? How are they using it? How do they, why is the feedlot set up this way? Uh, I remember we were driving through the feedlot and there was a mound, you know, and, it, and, and, it, and it's kind of set up in a small hill and it was wet. And they said, why is it like that? No cows are on there. And they were talking about moisture, keeping them dry, you know, keeping them wet and all these other things. It was just interesting to see they had very basic questions. Uh, and it was good because they were very inquisitive about what's happening. Ford says the group will be spending about three days in Nebraska. Today they are touring a processing facility in Omaha. That is Mark Ford, director of the Ag Trade Office for the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. Here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We noticed some weakness in corn and soybeans today. And right at the end we saw some buying come back into the winter wheat futures. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So wheat has a little bit of a story? Yeah, I think the, uh, the story out of Australia is certainly stuff uh, that, that you need to keep it, keep your ears on, especially if you're in the, uh, the market here in the U.S. Should be friendly for our exports. Uh, they're looking at a crop a year ago. It was about 35 million metric tons. They had a really good year. Uh, they might be below 20 now. So they, you're talking about half of the, the production from that area. And I think it's important to note here, you know, the USDA is going to be very unfriendly to wheat, given that they're always quoting the global wheat stocks, and I think that's important, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, we know how much is out there globally, but I'd say about half of that product isn't available because it's either available in China, which isn't an exporter, or uh, you have it in Russia, who is essentially capped out. They just have a logistics nightmare with uh, moving the amount of physical they have. So somebody's got to step up and take this—I uh, don't know, take the mantle, so to speak—that Australia has held as, a, as kind of an exporter to Asia. And I think that could be something that uh, I think pushes price here in the next couple of weeks if we'd have a rebound in the corn prices after October one. Don't you think too that we also have this opportunity for exports, given the fact that the dollar is still below ninety-two? Yeah, I, that's, I mean, something you continue to have to kind of lean here. And on the hard red side, I mean, we're, we're well off where we were as far as supplies go from a year or two years ago and, um, you know, down substantially from a year ago. And I think you start to pencil in what the acreage is going to look like next year. I think we'll be down a further uh, uh, from, from where we were even two years ago. So, uh, you know, wheat is one of those markets that doesn't have a lot of sizzle right now just due to the fact that there's not a lot of weather story that's going to affect it here in the northern hemisphere. But the southern hemisphere certainly provides its own uh, kind of metal to the trade here as we uh, look at exports. And I think that, that could be something that brings some business to the U.S. as well. Now, harvest reports are a little better than expected in some areas. That's still early in the game. So it's a wild card for soybeans, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's very, very difficult, I think, right now. Uh, you know, maturity is an issue. I, I think that has to be something that's, first of all, talked about. The guys that we're hearing from that are harvesting are central Illinois, central Indiana, really kind of across that I-70 corridor here in the, in the uh, you know, eastern part of the country. Um, as we get up north, I think you'll start to see the yields improve, but these first rounded beans, I think, are, are, are problematic. Everybody seems to have some issues with, with something that's going on with them. Um, and on the corn side, you know, we're seeing better than expected yields right now, but they're worse than they were a year ago. So I think that kind of keeps us, uh, you know, somewhat penned to this, these levels the USDA has put us at. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Dewey Nelson reporting.